just want to add my welcome. My name is Rod. My pronouns are he and him. I'm Gemini. Uh, it's pretty obvious. Uh, I'm also wearing a new shirt. I got this at the Salvos in Wallen. Yeah, it, does, it has lobsters on it, yes. Correct. And palm, well, yeah, I mean, you expect palm trees, but the lobsters came as somewhat of a surprise to me. Um, it's, not a, it's not a vague Jordan Peterson reference, just in case you're wondering. We'll not, we won't be talking about dominance hierarchies this morning at all. We will instead be talking about Dogger. One of my favourite kids' books by Shirley Hughes, who died a few weeks ago, I think. Ah, oh, she's so lovely, Shirley Hughes. Um, so, yeah, just so you're warned, we'll be looking at Dogger. Um, but I'm going to start by praying for us. Loving God, thank you for this community. I thank you that it is a place that aspires to be safe. And I thank you that you despite how you are so often portrayed, that you are a safe God, a God that wants to keep us safe, that wants us to flourish. I thank you for Jesus who told us over and over again that you are our motherly father. You are our fatherly mother. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so this is, uh, as you are aware, Community Church Lunch Week, and so I'm going to keep it short, uh, and it will involve a kid's book. So the, for those who are new, we have a kind of a rhythm now where the third week of the month is a kind of kid's program, and then the first week of the month with lunch is meant to be kid-friendly. Uh, that's why there are so many kids here. And to make it super kid-friendly, I thought we'd have Dogger, because Dogger is such a lovely book. And it also, you know, I love working out really bizarre ways of tying in things that seem to be an unlikely fit. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to link Dogger to Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. It can be done. <laughs> so before we read the story, um, I'm going to ask you a question, so you have to pay attention. Um, we're actually not going to read it. We're going to have it up on the screen. But actually, can I have the PowerPoint to begin with? Uh, yeah, so we're doing a series on Jesus, the Jesus way as a wisdom tradition. And we are looking at how the life that Jesus lived, the stories that Jesus told, can be um, a path of wisdom that we can walk. And... For those that saw my weekly note this week, uh, you will know that it occurred to me this week that the last few weeks we've been looking at some really basic questions about the way that Jesus walked. Um, so two, two weeks ago, um, oh, oh yeah, this is our theme for today, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness or the how is as important as the what. I'm channeling my inner Rob Bell there. Um, but first, before we get to Dogger, um, yeah, so I feel like two weeks ago, Shane talked about Jesus in the synagogue at Nazareth saying, God is, has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and liberation to the captive, that this is, this is the what of the Jesus path. 
So this is Jesus' destination, where Jesus is going. And then last week, Tamsin talked about Jesus' baptism in the Jordan when John the Baptist baptised him. And that, to me, was the confirmation of the who of the Jesus path. God saying, this is the person that you are to follow on this wisdom path towards the what, which is my kingdom of liberation and of freedom. So today we're going to look at the how of the Jesus path, how Jesus walked towards the what, how Jesus walked towards the destination of liberation for all, how Jesus embodied that. And we're going to start, as I said, by, um, by reading Dogger. That's a picture of Dogger for those listening to the podcast that I put up on the screen. Um, so if we can switch over to the, to the YouTube. I was going to read it myself, but I thought, oh, you'll get to see the pictures better if we find a reading of it. Um, but if you get a bit lost, it's not a super complex narrative, but if you get a bit lost, you can come up later and just refresh by looking at my version of Dogger. All right. Um, just before you start... No, we've lost our children. Don't worry. It's fine. Let's, we'll be the children for today. Okay. Here we go. Dogger by Shirley Hughes. Dogger. Written by Shirley Hughes. Once, there was a soft brown toy called Dogger. One of his ears pointed upwards and the other flopped over. His fur was worn in places because he was quite old. He belonged to Dave. Dave was very fond of Dogger. He took him everywhere. Sometimes he gave him rides in a trolley. Sometimes he pulled him along on a lead made of string like a real dog. When it was cold, he wrapped him up in a bit of blanket. Now and again, Dave's mum said that Dogger was getting much too dirty. She showed Dave how to wash him in a bowl of soapy water. Then they hung him up by his tail on the washing line to dry. Dave's baby brother, Joe, liked hard toys. He liked putting them in his mouth and biting on them because he was getting teeth. Dave's big sister, Bella, took seven teddies to bed with her every night. She had to sleep right up against the wall to stop herself from falling out. But Dave liked only Dogger. One afternoon, Dave and Mum set out to collect Bella from school. Mum took Joe in the pushchair and Dave took Dogger. Next to the school gate where the mums waited was a playing field. Some men with ladders were putting up coloured flags. Mum said that there was going to be a summer fair to get money to buy things for school. Dave pushed Dogger up against the railings to show him what was going on. Just then the children started to come out of school. An ice cream van came round the corner playing a tune. Bella ran up with a satchel flying. Mum, can we have an ice cream? Mum gave her the money for two cones. Joe didn't have a whole ice cream to himself because he was too dribbly. On the way home, Dave walked beside the bus chair, giving Joe lips of his ice cream. Joe kicked his feet about and shouted for more in between licks. At tea time, Dave was rather quiet. In the bath, he was even quieter. At bedtime, he said, 
I want Dogger. But Dogger was nowhere to be found. Mum looked under the bed. She looked behind the cupboard and she searched in the kitchen and underneath the stairs. Dave watched anxiously through the banisters and Joe watched through the bars of his cot. Bella joined in the look for Dogger. She turned out her own toy box in case he was in there, but he wasn't. When Dad came home, he looked for Dogger too. He searched in the shed and down the garden path with a torch, but Dogger was quite lost. Dave was very sad when he went to bed. Bella kindly lent him one of her teddies to go to sleep with, but it was not the same thing as Dogger. Dave kept waking up in the night and missing him. The next day was Saturday and they all went to the school summer fair. The playing field was full of stalls and sideshows. There was a fancy dress parade. Then there were sports with an egg and spoon race, a wheelbarrow race and a father's race. Bella was very good at races. This she won the three-legged race with her friend Barbara. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to go in for a race? They asked Dave. But Dave didn't feel like racing. Dave was missing Dogger too much. Then, another very exciting thing happened to Bella. She won first prize in a raffle. It was a huge yellow teddy bear wearing a beautiful blue silk bow. He was almost as big as Dave. Dave didn't like that teddy at all. At that moment, he didn't like Bella much either, because she kept on winning things. He went off on his own to look at the stalls. One lady had a toy stall, full of knitted ducks and cars and baby dolls in bonnets. And there, at the very back of the stall, behind a lot of other toys, was... Dogger! He was wearing a ticket saying 5p. There were a lot of people around the stall. Dave tried to explain to the lady that it was his dogger who had got lost and somehow been put on the stall by mistake. But she wasn't listening. He looked in his pocket. He had 3p, but that wasn't enough. He ran to find mum and dad to ask them to buy dogger back at once. Dave went everywhere in the crowd, but he couldn't see mum and dad. He thought he was going to cry. At last, he found Bella by the cakes. When she heard about Dogger, she and Dave ran back to the toy stall as fast as they could. But something terrible had happened. Dogger had just been bought by a little girl. She was already walking off with him. Dave began to cry. Bella ran after her and tried to explain that the dogger really belonged to Dave and could they please buy him back? But the little girl said no. She said that she had bought dogger with her own money and she wanted him. She We're going to pause there for a second. Don't worry, we'll get to hear the rest of it. But we have a, we have a question for you as we look at Dave's knees. And, uh, yeah, this is maybe a question for you too, Stuart and Renly and Annika. So, if Bella is going to get Dave back, sorry, get Dogger back for Dave, what could she do? How could Bella get Dogger back for Dave? 
you have any ideas? Danny has an idea. I've just come in halfway through. So Bella's the sister. Who's the, who's the little scarlet letter girl who's bought the... Oh, so this is what I think Bella should do. She should say to her brother, that girl bought that fucking thing with her own money. You don't need to assert your patriarchy and let her live her life in her red dress with the scarlet letter. Hello. And also all these characters are white, cis and het. So let's change that. Thank you. As I said, it's very 70s. <laughs> so any other thought? Oh, Nat has a thought. so much of a thought, it might be just another question, but um, I don't know if I like the narration, but those illustrations are breaking my heart in a soft way. But um, she's seen something that she adores and he had that and he adores it. So she's, she's just as in love with that as he is. So that, what could, yeah. Yes. It's a very tricky situation for Bella. Any other thoughts? Yep, that's true. She could just shove the little girl over and grab Dogger and run. That is always an option. Coercive violence. Yep, get it, build a new bear. Um, I think Tamsin during the week had the suggestion of doing the kind of Solomon thing of cutting the bear in half, <laughs> giving them half a bear each and then see who the true mother of Dogger is. Why don't they do the democratic thing and share it? Week on, week off. They could have a custody arrangement. <laughs> week on, <laughs> polyamorous bear. Could be a, um, yeah, a week on, week off arrangement, Martin. The mum could say, cut it in half, and then the girl says, no, no, he can have it. Ooh. I think that he should, she should hear him out and then he could like say all the stories that they had together and then like all the nights that they shared and then she would be like, oh yeah, you can have it back and then he can have it back. Yeah, so, so dog, uh, Dave could try to explain the depth of his connection and that might win her over. I think Dave's perhaps a little bit too upset to act in this situation, which is the, the problem it's in Bella's court. Um, Bella's the sister, right? Um, she could do the sacrificial thing and give the girl or offer the girl a big teddy yeah. and do a swap. Yeah. All right, so we've had a lot of suggestions. Let's see what Bella does. She held on to him very tightly. Dave cried and cried. And the little girl started to cry too. Out of the corner of her eye, she caught sight of Bella's big yellow teddy. She stopped crying and put out her hand to stroke his beautiful blue silk bow. Then Bella did something very kind. Would you swap this teddy for my brother's dog then? She asked. Right away the little girl stopped crying and began to smile. She held out Dogger to Dave, took the big teddy instead and went off with him in her arms. Then Dave smiled too. He hugged Dogger and he hugged Bella round the waist. Thank you, Bella, he said. That night, Dave had Dogger in his bed beside him. Bella was practising somersaults. Shall you miss your big teddy? Dave asked her. No, 
said Bella. I didn't like him much, really. He was too big, and his eyes were too stirring. Anyway, if I had another teddy in my bed, there wouldn't be room for me. Okay, I might pause there. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, there you go. It's Chris Guest with his... Oh, it was... Um... Can you go back to the PowerPoint? Um, I think the last line was... Again, Bella just minimising her loss so Dave doesn't feel too bad about the fact that she swapped her bear for Dogger. <laughs> That's right, exactly. She's learning to be a woman to make it easier for men. That is such an excellent point. <laughs> to make sure men are shielded from the price that you pay for their happiness. <laughs> That's what I love about this community. Things... Don't always go in the direction that you're expecting. Um, so let's, let's accept that patriarchal frame for the story and not try to resist that that's part of the reality of this 1970s story with the dad's race and the mum's waiting for the kids after school. Um, but I guess the, the question that I did have for all the kids here, that, that means you, is, yeah, just to reflect on the how, so the what was Bella's desire to get Dave, get Dogger back for Dave. And the, the question is the how. Um, we talked about lots of different ways in which she could get Dogger back, pushing the little girl over, grabbing Dogger, um, or saying to Dave, it's up to you to get your dog back. Um, but instead, it was a kind of beautifully... Again, setting us framing out the patriarchal dimension of it, a beautifully self-sacrificial way of achieving happiness for these two younger and disempowered kids. Um, so with that in mind, we are going to have a little look at the passage for this morning. There we go. She got Dogger back and did it in a kind way. Uh, so we've already talked about this. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the what of Jesus' way. And then last week, we looked at the who, that God affirming that Jesus was God's beloved. And so today, we're going to look at the how. How did Jesus walk this path? Um, and spoiler alert, he's kind of a bit like Bella. Um, I've asked Ben if he can just read the passage for us. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Jesus ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to Jesus, if you are the beloved of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, we do not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to the high place and showed him in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the most high God. God alone will you adore. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the beloved of God, he said. Throw yourself down for here, for it is written, God will command the angels concerning you to guard you carefully. 
They will lift you up with the, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, do not put God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, Jesus was left alone. The devil awaited another opportunity. I love, I love how sinister that last line is. <laughs> um, yeah, you don't often notice that waiting for another opportunity. Um, so I'd recommend watching The Last Temptation of Christ to, to see, see, what, see what the devil's last temptation of Jesus was. It's a very, really powerful film. Um, so as I said, it's community lunch. So um, I just want to really open things up a little bit this week and then next week, we're going to talk as a community about um, the nature of these temptations that Jesus faces and how they illustrate the way in which he is going to pursue the kingdom of God. Um, the way, the things that he is resisting in these temptations are alternative ways to achieve his mission. Um, and Next week, I want us as a community to think about how we as a community might resist the same kinds of temptations in, as we follow Jesus on his path. One thing just to say before we start too is that um, often we encourage people when we're confronted with kind of classic questions about passages of the Bible to, to find a third way to engage with them. Uh, and the devil is a classic example of that. You know, when we read a passage like this, it's easy to go, so is the devil an actual person or just a symbol or what, what are we meant to, how are we meant to make of this figure? And I guess with this passage, I'd encourage us to see the devil as a personification of all that is dark and violent in human nature and human culture. Um, in the terms that Shane outlined for us, to see the devil as the, the personification of empire, the personification of colonization, the personification of genocide, the personification of all of these dark forces that are at play in our culture, in human culture. And we see here Jesus wrestling with the, the methods, wrestling with the how that empire, that Caesar that colonization would have him follow if he is to achieve God's kingdom. So very quickly, I'm just going to talk about the three temptations and just offer a, a, something to start us thinking about each of them. And then, we'll, as I say, we'll come back to them next week. Um, so the first one is the turning stones into bread. I guess this is the temptation of magic in a way. It's like Bella conjuring up a second dogger to solve the problem of who should get dogger. And it's a temptation that I think a lot of churches encourage us to, to believe in, uh, that, that God is there to ensure that we don't have to make difficult self-sacrificial choices when we face dilemmas, but that, that God will magically provide an easy way, an easy path. Um, Brian McLaren, in one of his books called We Make the Way by Walking, talks about these three temptations, and he says, with this first, first temptation, 
it's a way of asking or suggesting that we don't really need character formation. We don't need self-control, the kind of self-control that comes from spiritual disciplines. That's a long and a hard process. This temptation is to suggest that you can have it all right now. Public influence, private self-indulgence, if you just use miraculous powers to acquire whatever you desire. The second temptation is the temptation to Jesus to say, you can worship, you can, you can rule over the whole earth right now. All you need to do is worship the devil. All you need to do is worship the power of empire. Worship the power of coercive violence. And you can have it all. The devil says to Jesus, essentially, you can get on the fast track to power if you acknowledge that self-seeking power, not self-giving love, reigns supreme. And again, uh, in the case of Bella, ripping Dogger from the arms of the little girl would be a very quick solution to the problem that she faces and would cost her nothing. And all of these temptations are really the devil saying, there's a way of getting what you want that doesn't cost you anything. Just take it. The last one, prove yourself as God's beloved child by throwing yourself off the temple. So this seemingly suicidal move with angelic intervention at the last moment before impact would prove just the kind of public relations spectacle that a, show, a showman, a show person would choose. But Jesus, again, is not a showman. Again, not interested in shortcuts. And again, as we said last week, Jesus doesn't need to do anything to prove that he is God's beloved child. This is something that he already knows. So in, in, in a way, this, this one is a double temptation. It's a temptation to spectacle, to earning people's trust, to getting people to follow you through spectacle. But it's also a way of affirming to yourself that God is on your side. And Jesus re rejects both of those. So Jesus won't use his power for personal comfort and pleasure. He refuses unscrupulous means to, to achieve just and peaceful ends. He will not reach for spectacle over substance. And so Jesus sets the course for the great work before him, not driven by human lust for pleasure, power or prestige, but empowered by the Spirit. And so what we'll think about next week is, yeah, how do we do the same? How do we avoid the traps of seeking to follow the mission of God to create a world of justice and liberation? How do we avoid the traps of pursuing that what with the wrong how? And given that we're talking in this series about ritual and about practice, what are the rituals and the practices that we can put in place 
in our community to ensure that we are resisting pursuing God's goals, God's kingdom with the wrong how, with the wrong means. So it's community lunch. So that's all I'm going to say. And there will be lots more opportunity for people to, to give input and give your thoughts next week. Um, but what I do want to do as we move to lunch, lunch is going to be our communion. Normally we have communion in the round here, but today because we've got lunch, we're going to make that our communion, make that our feast. But I want to leave us with something about that ritual, the ritual of eating together, that achieves what we're talking about today, that it achieves that goal of reminding us how we are to pursue the kingdom of God. A book I read a few years ago um, and loved was by Alain de Baton, who's um, an atheist philosopher from um, Switzerland originally, but went to an English public school. And he's got a great book called Religion for Atheists. And he talks about all of the resources that religion offers, which secular society has not yet worked out a way of replicating. And one of the things that he talks about is um, the love feasts, communion that the early church used. Um, So he writes, Christian mass or love feast was a meal before it was a service, eaten with strangers in the early church. These were known as agape feasts from the Greek for love. In the modern city, he says, there are any number of places to eat well, but there's an almost universal lack of venues that help us to transform strangers into friends. And so he proposes an agape restaurant. Because he says there are few more effective ways to promote tolerance between suspicious neighbours than to force them to eat supper together. There's a vivid description in his book of how we walk into restaurants alone and then we leave alone. He talks about a city like London. London is sociable in a sense that there are people gathering in bars and restaurants, concerts and lectures, yet you can partake of all of these experiences and never say hello to anyone new. And one of the things that all religions do is take groups of strangers into a space and say, it's okay to talk to each other. So that's what I'm going to say to you this morning. It's okay to talk to each other as we eat together. And let's soak up in the culture that we live in, the extraordinary nature of what it is that we are doing. We're eating with strangers, talking to strangers, and we're not picking and choosing who we eat with based on affinities or class or anything else. This is an open community. All are welcome. And so, in that spirit, let's eat and drink together and let's celebrate a God that calls us to liberation, that calls us to peace, that calls us to kindness.
Amen.